Hi, my name's Andy Harmer, and thank you for downloading this, the third episode in our series of Clear Cruise podcasts. And we have a lot of cruising to get through in this episode. So what's coming up? Tony Roberts from Princess Cruises and the newly appointed chair of Clear UK and Ireland talks destinations with journalist Sarah Macefield. We also hear from the four finalists for the Clear Master of the Year Award, which was held at the Travel Weekly Agent Achievement Awards in London this week, and that's Ian, Sarah, Carol and Sophie. But we start with Peter Collar based in our Sydney office, and he talks about what's happening in Asia and Australasia. Take it away, Peter. Thanks, Andy. Well, despite being in the middle of winter here in Australia, it's uh, pretty quiet on the berthing front, but uh, Pino Australia Cruises, boy, they made a bang this week. Uh, on the beautiful Sydney Harbour with Pacific Explorer who was celebrating her first birthday and they had uh, quite a spectacular party probably one of the biggest birthday cakes you'll ever see it was about three metres tall on the top deck there and uh, just about uh, when I got my fork out ready to uh, dig in all these acrobats, uh, jugglers, dancers uh, all the entertainment show, the production show there Love Riot, uh, they all came out of the cake beneath the layers of icing Uh, it was great fun and the passengers loved it And in some uh, other breaking news this week, we're really happy that Australian company Wendy Wu Tours, they announced they're building their first ever river cruise vessel. And that's going to glide along the Mekong River in Vietnam. It's 35 cabins. uh, So it looks quite nice. And I'm so happy for Wendy because she's a great person. If you haven't met her, she's a Tibetan-born Chinese-Australian living in London. And uh, she launched um, Wendy Wu Tours in Sydney about 1994 which she took her first group out uh, of Australians into China. And since then, the company's grown so much, particularly in the last few years, where they've really delved into the adventure cruise and land package tours. And now they've got this four-star Victoria Mekong, which they're going to call it, and that'll go on sale uh, later in the year and commence operations in 2020. Now, speaking of Asia, our new CLIA report uh, has just been published on the cruise passenger numbers from Asia in 2017. You can download a copy of this from the Clear Asia website, which is clearasia.org. So just go to the main page and it'll be the last story published. That's got a download link there. And pretty much to summarize it all, well, 4 million Asians took a cruise in 2017, which is a 20.5% increase from 2016. And this year-on-year growth is more than three times what we find in uh, other global regions. So shows truly how global our industry is. And Asia accounted for about 15% of the total global ocean passenger volume, which is uh, very strong for that area. And great to see some of the regions that, you know, they've invested strongly in the, in the respective markets and they're starting to see the results. Uh, seven countries actually now make the top 20 uh, in cruise passenger volume around the world, and and they particularly are China, Taiwan, uh, Singapore, Japan, Hong Kong, Malaysia, and India, and they all saw double-digit growth year on year. And the fastest-growing markets, well, they're Hong Kong and Malaysia, who both recorded more than 80% growth in 2016. That's about news for this week. Uh, they're coming up for our cruise agents listening, uh, particularly in New Zealand. Don't forget we've got the passenger statistics launch Uh, going to be released on the 24th of July in Auckland. So a great measurement to see how your business has relatively fared over the past year. And for both our Aussies and Kiwis, 
uh, watch out for an email from us this week about Choose Cruise, which is our October campaign celebrating everything cruise. That's about it, Andy. I'm off to Brisbane for Clear Live. We've got a sold-out show there for two days, and uh, I'll try and catch up with you in the next couple of weeks. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for the update from Asia and Australasia. We'll hear from Peter again soon. All right, so next up, we meet the four finalists for the Clear Master of the Year Award that was given out this week at the Travel Weekly Agent Achievement Awards. <laughs> so here we are. It is the Travel Weekly AAA Awards, and I'm with the shortlisted finalist for the Clear Master of the Year Award, Sarah. It's <laughs> How long have you been a master, and how long? What does it mean to you to be a Clear Master? I think I've been a master pretty much from the outset, from when the master became developed from an ambassador. Yes. Um, so I don't know how many years that a is. Long time. Uh, yes. Seven years. It feels like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now I, I like I like the fact that you can get accreditation for the amount of work that you put in. So if you do all the training, you do your ship visits, you go on ships for your own holidays, then. Then, then you're treated like you're something special. Well, you are something special. Absolutely. Talking of somebody special, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> so you're an independent travel agent. I am. Uh, is Clear Master an important part of your business? It is, because I tell everybody we're part of Clear. We even have it on the door, so when people come in, they often say to me, what does this mean? So we explain to them so people know who Clear are and what we stand for. Good stuff. I'm going to sneak round. Sorry, sorry. Ian! Ian, how are you? I'm fine, thanks, Andy. Good. So, um, as a clear master, you're here this evening. What would it mean to win the award tonight? It would be pretty amazing as a sort of recognition of the work done and nice to actually put something back and present clear in a good light. It's, they're a very good organisation. Sadly, you're with these three young ladies, oh, which, is, which is tough for anyone. Let me yeah. get past. Hello. Hello. So, you've been a master for a while and you've yeah. used your master status to train other people. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. So, clear is... A really important part of all the training within the call centre so we work really hard to get everyone through the training and up to the statuses. Fantastic well look good luck to all four of you there can only be one master of course of the year but good <laughs> luck and have a great evening and thanks for coming. Thank, Thank you. you. Good luck. So, uh, hi, I'm Andy Harmer and I'm joined by Sarah Macefield and Tony Roberts. Why don't you just introduce yourselves? Right, hello, I'm Sarah Macefield. Um, I've been a travel journalist for more than 20 years and I've written on cruising for, oh goodness me, more than the last decade actually. I used to work for TTG for many years and went freelance in 2000 and now I write regularly for The Times, um, Telegraph, Mail um, and also still for TTG and other trade publications. Thanks. And hello, I am uh, Tony Roberts. I am the Vice President uh, UK and Europe for Princess Cruises. Um, and I have been in the cruise industry now for just over 18 years, um, working across a variety of brands in lots of different roles, um, but now working uh, with the Princess team in the UK. Thank you very much. So I was just reading uh, about celebrity building a purpose-built terminal in, in Port My Everglades. Yeah. Uh, is that something that we're seeing more of? Is that control of the whole... A cruise experience something that cruise lines are investing in Tony? so i think yes and and you know like celebrity um princess cruises have a terminal which is devoted to the brand uh in fort lauderdale um and it's uh much as celebrity are it allows us to take 
the whole start of the experience and deliver the cruise experience from the moment that the guest arrives mm. um, and make it as seamless and as frictionless as possible. Um, so it's a, a great innovation and one that I expect to see uh, happening in more and more ports around the world. Yeah, and we see bits of that in Europe and the Mediterranean with some of those Italian ports particularly. Yes, and also Barcelona, of course. Mm. I mean, you know, one of the busiest ports in Europe and there's been a lot of investment there in Swiss new terminals, um, equipment, etc. Um, I think for years, lines, particularly those cruising from the UK, have been able to control the product more from the UK and now they are investing more and more in broad. And as Tony says, it, it is the all-important seamless package that they want to offer the seamless experience because really that gives them a usp over other sort of rival means of travel yeah and certainly over airports i guess which exactly. they don't control <clears throat> exactly and, and that leads me to the second point which is that uh, close at home cruising seems to be continuing to grow in popularity in all markets whether it's uk or north america or australasia or europe uh, that close at home cruising seems to be really an important part of our industry. Why, why is that? Why, why do people uh, prefer that style of cruising? Well, I mean, ex-UK specifically, I mean, what was it, more than a million people, mm. I think, last year. Yeah. It is so easy, isn't it? You just turn up at the port, whether you've gone by rail or by road, um, you get straight onto the ship your holiday starts straight away. You can go into the bar, you can sink a few cocktails, the children can go in the pool if the, if the sun is shining. It does make it easy. You've got none of the airport hassles or anything like that. Um, and I think particularly for families with young children, particularly for older cruisers as well, it is the security, it is the ease that I think makes this so appealing. And sorry, there is more choice now, I think, than yeah. ever before, yeah. from not just Southampton, but from other ports around the UK as well. Do you agree, Tony? Well, so I think the one thing that I would add, I agree with, with everything Sarah said, but the thing I would add is about coming home as well. So quite often, That's if true. you do a, a long-haul holiday, um, you find that actually you, you finish your holiday, you're nicely relaxed, rejuvenated, and then you have a day or so of travelling, and it can be quite mm. stressful and very tiring, and you come back, you arrive home, feeling like you need another holiday. Whereas when you arrive back in Southampton, and particularly if you, you live uh, in the south of England, um, it's very easy to just to relax back into completing your holiday experience without having a stressful experience. Yes, that's a good point. And also the other point as well, um, no luggage restrictions. Obviously, mm. if you're flying, you're bound by your, I don't know, 20 kilos or whatever. Um, in terms of going on a ship, it's pretty much whatever you can fit in the cabin. Kitchen sink and all. And, and everything you need. But but from an agent's perspective, doesn't that make it more difficult to then differentiate what they're selling? Because there's no add-on or there's very little opportunity for an add-on for those agents who want to package something, which is easier if you fly cruise. Yeah, I think um, certainly we find that... that Agents do well at both, so there is a you know there's a very strong market out there for guests who want that full service experience that a travel agent offers and the expertise that they bring uh, in terms of explaining the experience and helping them to choose the right brand for them, um, and that applies equally to when you're sailing um, from the UK and you're just essentially buying the cruise experience mm. to when you're putting together a much more complex uh, bucket list type package. I also think there's scope again for sailing from the UK, particularly from Southampton. More hotels from Southampton now seem to be gearing up with special cruise um, products in terms of, yeah. you know, if you are coming from sort of, you know, further afield than the southeast, 
Um, you know, why not stay a night in Southampton beforehand? So, so there are, I think, little chances for add-ons there when you are sailing from the UK. So uh, one of the things that we notice from the figures and when we talk about uh, the estimates that we have for growth in certain markets, much of it is tied to whether new ships are being deployed specifically to their ports. Uh, does that mean that that's, that's how we grow a market, by positioning other ships or new ships into those ports? I think that there is always an element of that, and particularly we've seen the growth in the ex-UK market has been driven um, by both the demand and the deployment of ships, and the two really go hand in hand. Um, but I think there is a growing uh, demand for cruise as a long-haul or perhaps more exotic destinations. Um, and... You know, more and more cruise lines are, are deploying ships all over the world and sourcing from both the local markets uh, where the ships are deployed, but also bringing in lots of visitors for all, from all around the world. Um, and we see the same, actually, with the ex-UK sailing. So, mm. so sailing from the UK is very popular with um, you know, our North American guests, with guests from Southern Europe. Uh, there's guests from all over the world who are traveling to the UK to travel and likewise guests from the UK are literally going all over the world now. And does that present challenges in terms of the onboard delivery? So thinking specifically of Asia, uh, Westerners flying to Asia for an Asian holiday is different or they're looking for a different experience maybe than Asians looking to cruise out of Asia. I think, uh, yes, that there is instances of that. And I think particularly with the Chinese market, the ships tend to be devoted to the Chinese market. Mm. And the same is true in Taiwan. However, um, you know, cruises from Japan are incredibly popular and a completely international mix of guests on board. Uh, and similarly, there's some, some amazing cruise experiences from Singapore. And it's a very international product. So the product that delivered isn't tailored to a particular market. It is a, it's tailored to appeal to all of the markets that are travelling um, and is, is very international in its nature. And I think for some travellers that can be part of the appeal. You, some people don't want to be on a ship with a lot of other Brits. Some people yeah. do like that mix of the Americans, of, you know, sort of Asians, etc. It, it's all part of the cultural flow. Um, and, and I think <clears throat> with certain nationalities, it, it does, it does mould together very well. And is Asia the next big destination for cruisers? I think it's already happening, actually. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we talk about the Europe numbers, and Europe continues to dominate in the UK market. But for Princess Cruises, for the last two years, um, Asia has been our second largest market after Europe and has overtaken the Caribbean. Um, so it's incredibly popular with, with UK guests who want to to visit the Far East and experience what those countries have to offer. And I mean, it, because it does really lend itself to cruising, yeah. I think, because you've got excellent hubs like Singapore, Hong Kong, um, particularly good flight connections. You've got a good, a good choice of cruises departing from those ports. Um, for example, if you're going from Singapore and you're, say, travelling down um, along the Thai coast, Vietnam, etc., perhaps into Burma or Myanmar, it is an excellent way to see several destinations that would be a lot of hassle to see if you were trying the more conventional route of, of road and rail or road and air, for example. Um, so, yes, I, I think there is so much scope. And not just cruises as well, but cruise and stays. Um, you know, yeah. an ocean cruise with river cruising, for example. There is so much. That it, it, it is a, I mean, yes, I think it's already started as a big destination, but there's so much scope for even more. And I think, I mean, I went on a, um, a cruise to Asia at Christmas with my family. And we started uh, in Singapore and had a few days in Singapore exploring the city. And we then went to 
went to Borneo, we went to Vietnam, we went to Cambodia, went to Thailand, and all within the space of about 10 days, you know, seeing those uh, fantastic breadth of countries and cultures mm -hmm. in a part of the world that I'd never been before, and it's it was an amazing experience. Yeah, yeah it's an extraordinary place. We, Claire, held its first uh, event in Asia this year, and I was struck how incredible Ho Chi Minh was as a city, for example, and completely different to any other a river cruise or ocean cruise destination that I've been to for a long, long time. Uh, it is extraordinary what they, the food and the culture and everything and how different it is from, from, I guess, from many people's expectations. Very much so. And also, I think for first timers, perhaps for people who maybe are not so used to travelling or have not been to Asia before, I think to go on a cruise, there is that element of, of security, of familiarity. They're going to a lot of destinations that are very different to what mm. they've experienced before. But they've got that sort of peace of mind and they may want to do that again or it may give them the sort of the courage really or the independence to then do something more adventurous the following time. But I do think that is the big strength of cruising for Asia. Yeah, and I was struck by how places like Singapore are really embracing cruise with the new terminals and with everything that they offer in, in <coughs> Singapore as a destination. So is are places like the Caribbean, for example, going to suffer as a result of maybe not having that level of investment and imagination and creativity? Um, I'm a big fan of the Caribbean. I think it's a great destination. Obviously, a lot of the cruises are departing from Florida. And as we've already touched upon, um, the facilities in Florida, Miami, Fort Lauderdale are being upgraded a lot. Um, the islands, the islands, I think, offer a great cruising experience and particularly in the north, you know, in in the British winter as well, it, it's it's a fabulous escape, and it is a shorter distance, you know, than mm. going to Asia. You know, Asia, you're looking what twelve hours into Singapore, to go to the Caribbean, you're probably looking into about eight hours into Miami or eight hours straight into Barbados, for example, um, and then and then going out from there. So I I do think the Caribbean could hold its own well. And does it have that perception that it's just a beach holiday if you do the Caribbean? Because there's obviously so much more to do in some of these amazing places. I think, sorry, I think sadly in some quarters it is, but it really isn't. There are the different cultures, you know, you're French, you're Dutch, you're Spanish, you're British. You have got the history, the colonial past. Um, you're getting a lot more activities in the Caribbean now because they're trying to repackage themselves as an adventure destination with the zip wiring, with the swimming with stingrays and, and various other activities you can do. So, so it's definitely worth going to explore. And also I think the cruise lines are getting more imaginative with the sorts of excursions that they're offering to really showcase the island as well yeah, and I think this is the beauty of cruising so if you just want a relaxing beach holiday in the Caribbean then you can do that with a cruise if you want to immerse yourself in history and culture you can do that on a cruise as well or if you want to go on an adventure holiday where you're quad biking through the rainforest and and zip lining down a mountain you can do that with a cruise holiday so it's it's mm. it's whatever you want to make of it rather than saying it's just a beach holiday or it's just a, a you know a, a culture and also, as well, the Caribbean does very much lend itself to the cruise and stays. So, for example, some companies, you know, they'll put together, um, you know, the cruise from Barbados and also a week on the beach, either before or afterwards. Um, again, that is something that very much lends itself to it. And Florida is a great place to start a holiday. Oh, I mean, yes. Miami is 
still a very exciting city. Well, you've got Miami, and of course, for families, you've got all the um, attractions of Orlando, Disney World, Walt Disney World, mm. um, Universal um, yeah. Resort, etc. And often, when you've been dashing around a theme park for a week, as I know to my cost, you're quite <laughs> looking forward to getting onto a ship and just having a rest <laughs> for a few days. And of course, the other thing as well, you know, a lot of the cruise lines, Princess included, have their own private islands or their own private resorts. And again, you get the sort of archetypal, typical beach day on those with all the facilities. A lot of it is included as well. And, and that's another very good experience. And you still get new destinations, I guess, in that area. And I'm thinking specifically of Cuba, uh, which is an amazing destination. Yes, very much so. And a lot of the lines are sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, going in there now with more sailings. Mm. Um, Cuba, yes, Cuba is the rising star of the Caribbean. Um, you know, you're looking at some of the smaller islands as well, for example, in the Grenadines. So you could go to Bequi or Union Island, or you could um, go up to the British Virgin Islands and the larger ships go to Tortola, but some of the smaller ships may go to Jos van Dyke. Mm. So you can get quite a different experience in the Caribbean, you know, going to smaller islands, say Nevis, as opposed to St. Kitts, mm. and that will give you quite a different flavour. Um, in terms of other developing areas, of course, it's not strictly Caribbean island, but Caribbean coastline, Costa Rica. Um, and with the improvements or the enlargement of the Panama Canal, which is now attracting yeah. more ships, Costa Rica is a natural port of call. And having been there last year and done zip wiring and seen sloths mm. and everything else, it is an amazing destination. The people are friendly, the scenery is beautiful, the wildlife is stunning. Um, and, and also, if there are any shoppers, there are some great local souvenirs to buy, beautiful wooden carvings. So, so there's a lot to it. But places, and I guess one of the struggles is that places like Costa Rica, for example, isn't necessarily on many customers' radar when they're thinking about a cruise holiday. So is there an education piece we need to be doing? So I, I think there is, but I think part of that's in the experience. And, and quite often, I mean, Costa Rica is a great example where actually people are likely to be ticking off that bucket list cruise experience that is a transit of the Panama Canal. And Costa Rica is this amazing surprise and delight experience that you get as part of that rather than the thing that perhaps you went to go and see. And um, particularly for newcomers, I think uh, we find that, that the Panama Canal Cruises is one of our strongest trades for attracting new to cruise because it is on people's bucket list that they want to do this, this transit of the canal and experience the, the incredible engineering, but also the amazing diversity of, of the countries in that area of the world. Uh, we should stay stateside for a second and just talk about Alaska because Alaska seems to be growing in popularity significantly. We see lots of new ships positioned there and I guess it's an important destination for Princess. Yeah, in fact, um, we have 350,000 guests visiting with Princess Cruises each year in Alaska, which is just a phenomenal number. Um, seven ships there in the summer and of course we have... Wilderness Lodges as well, five wilderness lodges yeah. uh, on the edge of the national parks in the Alaskan wilderness. And it is, again, it's a very, it's a bucket list experience for a lot of our guests and again attracts a lot of newcomers to cruise. Um, and I think the the ability to see the amazing wildlife, the amazing Alaskan mm. scenery and wilderness is is uh, just a fantastic experience and, and all of our guests that go really rave about it. So it's it's definitely uh, a part of the world that's growing in popularity. And staying on your point on lodges, we see we saw early on uh, investment in private islands that you've already mentioned, and we are seeing more investment in land product for cruise line. Is mm. that a trend? Is that something we're going to see yeah. more of? I think so, because I think people are looking for that entire experience. And whether it's 
uh, the cruise lines putting together the trains and the lodges as we do and Holland America Line do, mm. um, or whether it's actually travel agents working with local train companies to put together something that really is quite unique. So, um, you know, a, a great example is is you know, a lot of agents have put together um, seeing Mount Fuji, the bullet train, and a cruise as well. And you know that that becomes a, an incredible holiday experience where the cruise is part of it, but they're actually ticking a number of things off their bucket list in the process. Now, there's lots of places in the world we haven't talked about, and we that we have probably haven't got time today to talk about them. Um, so I just want to mention expedition cruising that seems to be booming at the moment, or certainly on the edge and the beginning of booming. Oh my goodness, I think, yes, there's never been such growth with expedition cruising. Um, and I mean, perhaps this year is the first of the years of expedition cruising. Mm. I mean, you've got so many vessels launching now. Yeah. I think, is it about 15 or 20 within the next two years? Mm. We've got Pendant and yeah. they're launching two vessels. Again, they look very sleek mega yachts mm. um, and they have um, this underwater viewing yes, area. That looks amazing. Which is called the Blue Eye, yeah. which does mm. look amazing. And, and, and I think they've got, is it hydrophones so that you can actually hear what's going on on the outside of the vessel as well so if you see a pod of whales swimming past you can hopefully hear them calling to each other and then you've got um you know the north the northeast passage for example which i always think is sort of going up to the top of norway and turning right and it takes you all along the coast of siberia but that's an amazingly unexplored undiscovered area i know that silver sea have cruised there in the past um again these are all areas that that i would expect to come to the fore and the challenge for travel agents, of course, is knowing what the experience is like in places that they probably have never sold as a holiday before. Yes, it's difficult because not so much is known about them, yeah. obviously, and that's that's part of their appeal. I mean, for example, and, and the Northeast Passage uh, um, and the top of Siberia, those areas um, were off limits for years um, and they've only recently been opened up to, to cruising. Um, you know, you've got an area up there called Wrangell Island, which is known as the Polar, uh, the polar Bear maternity unit because it has it has the biggest concentration of polar bear dens of anywhere in the world mm. and then you go along and there are a lot of indigenous tribes and various other islands etc it it really is sort of an undiscovered world i think uh we're out of time but i just want to get a feeling for trends so we know what 2018 is going to look like in terms of popular destinations 2019 any predictions on where people are going to particularly choose to cruise Ooh, 2019 i mean i'd have thought it's a sort of a continuation of trends we're currently seeing so asia i think will continue to grow and grow um and 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 south america as well so the one i would add to that is australia and new zealand we're seeing you know a a lot of demand in the uk market for cruising and i don't think until recently people have really considered it a cruise destination but the ability to put together a tour in Australia with a cruise to New Zealand and mm. then a tour in New Zealand and really explore different parts of both countries is cruising is just a fantastic way to see that part of the world. And, and I think that is a trade that is going to grow incredibly. And also some lines have done actual circumnavigations to yes. Australia, which yeah. is a fabulous way to, to explore it. And it means sometimes you can go to Australia, you can sort of hop on and hop off that cruise, can't you? Mm. Go and see people and then pick up the ship later on. So I think there's a lot more flexibility with arrangements. Well, and also with um, with the flight now, direct flight into Perth, we're seeing lots of yeah. uh, lots of interest in that side you know, yeah. of Australia rather than the traditional Sydney and Gold Coast. 
well, we shall, we shall catch up next year and see whether you were right. But <laughs> Sarah, Tony, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's all we've got time for in this episode. Thank you very much for listening and thank you for downloading. And remember to tell your friends all about the Clear Cruise podcast. We'll be back again next week. Happy cruising. <laughs>